Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, so you guys know I'm getting ready to do an East Coast impression. And I was over there in uh, uh, Gettysburg this week, whatever. So I'm going to try to <clears throat> see if I can pull it off. You know, it was over there. Maybe, maybe some of it rubbed off on me. I don't know. Hey, you know, it was a strange thing. It was kind of weird. We left here in Vegas, and then Trump showed up. And I was over there in Gettysburg, and then he showed up. I think he's following me, but uh, personally, but uh, I'm trying not to take it. But anyway, I get sidetracked. But he, here, here's the East Coast. You ready? Here you go. A, a minister, he dies, and, and he's waiting in line at the pearly gates. And, and ahead of him is this guy, and he's dressed in these sunglasses. He's got this really loud shirt on. He's got uh, a leather jacket, torn up jeans and stuff. And so Peter, he addresses this guy, and he says, uh, <clears throat> Who are you so that I may know whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? And so the guy replies, he goes, I'm Joe, Joe Cohen, taxi driver from New York City. How's that? <laughs> Had a little blend of Texas in there. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so Peter, he consoles his list and he smiles and he joyfully says to the taxi driver, he goes, hey, come in. Congratulations. Take this silken robe, this golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. So the taxi driver, he goes into heaven with his robe and staff. And well, now it's the minister's turn. <laughs> so he stands tall, Bobby, and he booms out. He says, I am Peter Finster. I have been the pastor of St. Michael's Church for the last 43 years. So St. Peter, he consults his list, and he casually says to the minister, he says, oh, all right. Uh, here, just take this cotton robe and this wooden staff, and all right, come in the kingdom of heaven. Well, the minister, he objects. He says, wait a second here, Peter. That man was a taxi driver, and he gets this silken robe and a golden staff. I mean, how could this be? And Peter replied, well, you see, up here, we work by results. While you preach, people slept. While he drove, people prayed. <laughs> that ain't funny. All right, you guys, you don't know how hard that was to spit that thing out. <laughs> yuck it up, yuck it up. But I'm not bitter about it. Let's get to the point. Okay, did you guys know that I know, you, you, you can identify sometimes with that sleeping part there when the pastor's preaching whatever, but, uh, 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 but did you know that you can't totally blame the sleeping problem on the pastor? Please, somebody say yes. yes. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I know it's tempting, but I, I, I've noticed a trend. There's another reason for it. The reason why the American church is snoozing big time is because they're refusing to give time in studying the Bible. And, and, and this is going on so long, folks. Now, listen to this, that it's now producing a whole generation of churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, you got to say that. Right? But half the times we're giving other people the wrong impression by our lips and our lives. We're acting like God's not even there, like an atheist. Okay? And this not only keeps us from growing in our walk with God, it keeps other people from believing God. Okay? That's not a good witness. Okay? And so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first one. Hello, God is what? He is real. We're really here for a real reason. Be encouraged, okay? This is not uh, make-believe. The second thing we saw is God is what? He is personal. He is intimate. Jesus died for a personal, intimate relationship, okay? Not a dry, stale, man-made, boring religion, okay? The third thing we saw is God is wise. He knows how much? Everything. Everything. So why in the world will we go anywhere else for wisdom? Go to God. You never get steered wrong. And the last ten times we saw the fourth thing is God is what? Sovereign. He is in control of how many things? All things, and he's got a good plan for those who love him. And how much things? All things, okay? It's absolutely wonderful, wonderful truth that just basically helps soothe us in our pain. He's got not just a plan, he's got a good plan through everything we go through. But that's not all. The fifth thing we need to know about God's character, okay, if we're going to stop acting like practical atheists, folks, is that God is what? 
God is powerful. In fact, the scriptures doesn't just say God's powerful. He is all powerful. In fact, turn to somebody and encourage them with these words. You ready? Turn to some of them and just say, hey, excuse me. Boom. All right, you didn't do that, but you're awake now. Praise God, because you didn't get the other joke. But anyway, that's, no, no, God's powerful. Boom, man, he creates all, man, he's got more power than you can shake a stick out. In fact, when you understand that, I truly believe when you understand the power of God, the almighty, powerful God we serve. It's kind of hard not to get excited about it. See, but I'm not the only one. Uh, uh, King David was the same way, okay? Open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, man. David, he's all excited about it. Okay, 1 Chronicles 29. If you find 2 Chronicles, what do you do? Hang your left, that's right. 1 Chronicles 29, and uh, we're going to read there verses 10 through 13. David, now the context is you turn there. David's giving this prayer. <clears throat> and he's not just giving the prayer, man. He's boasting. He's, I really, it's hard to even, at least for me, to even speak this text without getting excited what David's saying about God. Okay? But, but he's excited, man, because in the context, as you turn there, uh, he, he's, he's spending everything of his, and he's getting things ready for the articles to build the temple for God. And he loves God. He was a man after God's own heart. And he's seen God do amazing things and win victory after victory after victory. And then he, he gets the privilege to provide all the stuff. Solomon gets to build it, but he provides the stuff and he says this prayer but listen to how what he says and where he says it okay first chronicles 29 verses 10 through 13 says this david what praise the lord this listen to this in the who in the closet so nobody can hear him he was really embarrassed oh i'm sorry wrong translation uh, in the presence of the whole assembly did you realize that was more than three people I mean, this is in Can you imagine giving it a Can you imagine boasting, bragging about God? Like in a concert hall? Thousands of people? I mean, just as. So, so he, he praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, and here's what he said Praise to you, O Lord God, our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the what? And the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything. How much? Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted head over all wealth and honor come from you. You are ruler of how much? All things. And in your hands are strength, he says it again, and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, how many guys would say that David wasn't in the whole assembly and saying, we praise you, God, because of your power. And is anybody getting besides the text? I mean, I know I read it kind of excited, but I think it's an exciting text. J David, to me, is obviously he's jazzed, he's excited, he's thrilled about God, and he's, he's thrilled about God's character, and, and he's not just thrilled about it, but listen, he is praising God publicly. Ooh. See, that's a scary word, isn't it? Giving God praise, magnifying him. Woo, he's powerful. Publicly. Now, I don't know if you notice or not, but when it comes to praising God publicly, some of us Christians, we have a little problem with it. Like these guys. Watch this. See, see if this resonates. Let's take a look. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship. Some people more subtle. And it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Am I here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church?
Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us. But don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We've got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. We got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five, press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window, wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go, there's your big three. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, how many guys uh, can identify with that? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Get the momentum going. You can do it. Come on. <laughs> but when it comes to public worship, man, just being excited about God. I mean, some of it's woo, some of it's high, some of it's low, and some of it's mm, oh no. Right? That instructor says, man, what's up with that? Okay, that beats a sharp stick in the eye, but what's happened? Did somebody super glue your armpits together? What's it's okay, you you can move, but but not David. That's the point, man. Not David, man. Why? Because God was not only full of splendor, but David recognized what made him so majestic was the fact that, listen, God was the supreme power of the universe, and David not only could not keep his mouth shut about it, I don't care if I'm in front of 200,000 people, you've got to understand how powerful our God is. And he is worthy of service. He is worthy in the context there of building this temple and sacrificing everything to him. Village people, Rocky Touchdown, all in three. <laughs> and folks, I really think in the church sometimes this is one of our biggest problems in living like practical atheists, right? We don't recognize, like David, that God is not just powerful. He's all-powerful. And there is nothing that he cannot do, okay? And that should be exciting, okay? So to help us have this vision and insight that David had about God, we're going to take a look over the next several weeks, Lord willing, uh, how do we know them? How does God demonstrate that he is, in fact, all-powerful? Well, let's take a look at just four little things today. The first one is, hello, his display of creation, right? His display 
of creation. Now, we've talked about this several times, but let's hit it again. Because it's not just the existence of God that shows us in his handiwork in creation. Man, when you see what he's made, woo, he can do whatever he wants to do, man. It's exciting stuff. Okay, Romans chapter 1, again, is our text, 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God's made it plain to them. Well, how do you do that? How do you know about God? Well, here it is. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? From what has been made. Okay? In other words, God's creation, what he made. And so it's to the point that what? You ain't, nobody's got an excuse. You're without an excuse. You're excuse. Hey, God, I didn't have enough proof you existed. Excuse me. Okay? Nobody's without excuse. Okay? But one of the most obvious ways to show us, listen, that God not only exists, okay, but listen to me, and we've dealt with that several times on this context here, but also to show us just how, not just powerful, but just so how all-powerful God is, is when you also look at his creation. Okay, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what he made. God not only created the world so that we'd have a place to live, he created the world so we'd have a knowledge of him, and dare I say, also a knowledge of just how powerful he really is. And when you take a look, folks, at this world that God has created that we are living in, and we just trance through every single day, and we take it for granted, there is so much proof around us of the power of God. It's just mind-blowing, okay? In fact, I'm going to just share you just a teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny thing of just the power of God in the things that he's made. Absolutely crazy, okay? Now, you wouldn't want to see, you would not come to the proper conclusion of being all-powerful if he saw what I made. Right, honey? She's right here. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that looks like a nice shed. Don't blow on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's time to take it to the real mechanic. You know, when, you know, but God, when God makes something, whoa, man, it's, man, the power it took to do this. How about the atom? Did you know that the atom is so small that it would take the whole population of the whole world, 180 million years, just to count the amount of atoms in a single cup of water, counting one per second? I don't want to do that. Plus, we have short attention spans now. It would never work. Uh, we, <laughs> but it's, what? That's just an atom, simple atom. They're everywhere. Excuse me? How about the cell? Did you know each cell is a literal factory containing an elaborate network of interlocking assembly lines there, each of which are composed of large protein machines bristling with high-tech machinery? In fact, listen, on the outside of each cell are sensors and gates and pumps and identification markers. Inside, they're jam-packed with what? Actual power plants, automated workshops, and even recycling units. In fact, they have miniature monorails that whisk materials from one location to another. No such system could arise by blind, step-by-step -step Darwinian process. You've got to have more faith to believe in that than in the power of God. And that's just in a simple sale, okay? Even the most advanced automated modern factory with all its computers and robots all coordinated on a precisely time schedule made by man and his intelligence is less complex than the inner workings of a single cell. And we got, what, 50 trillion of them in one body? How would you like to have that job? Count them. Not me. Let's move on. Uh, and apparently that's why the so-called simplest of cells, the paramecium, is actually more complex than the space shuttle, which is the most complex machine we have ever built. And how, they're just, God just, oh, okay, here, try this. The power 
to create something like that. It's just, it's amazing. The brain, the human brain is the most complex mechanism in the world. The average brain weighs about three pounds, contains 12 billion cells, each of which are connected to 10,000 other brain cells, making 120 trillion brain connections. Scientists tell us the average person, listen, uses less than 10% of his brain capability. And if that's true, listen, then most people die with 10 to 11, not million, 10 to 11 billion brain cells still unused. Okay, some more than others, but we're not going to go there because we're going to get off target if we start talking like that. All right. Material world. Man, it's so awesome. There's not only not no two snowflakes alike, but there's neither no two blades of grass, not even two grains of sand. Last time I checked, there's a lot of sand out there. It's just amazing stuff. The animal world. Let me just give you one example. This is, this is cool. The common flea is capable of jumping 100 times as high as its own head. Put in comparison, if an Olympic jumper were to do as well proportionally, they would have to jump clear over the Washington Monument at one bound with some 80 feet to spare. Just a flea. A little flea. A little flea. Okay? But I don't know about you. And, you, and folks, it's just, I'm telling you, the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, obviously, right? But you, you take a look at God's creation, all the things that we take it for granted, even a flea. <laughs> Everything, just like Romans 1 says, woo! It's not just, it's intelligent design, so it implies intelligent designer. It's not just that God is real, it's God's what? Powerful. Who in the world made this stuff? It's amazing, okay? Now, that's just life that's on our planet. God also created not just our planet, he created our solar system, he created our universe. And the universe, in case you guys are wondering, it's kind of big. Now, as we've seen before, our universe, if you could travel at the speed of light, it would take us eight and a half minutes to reach the sun, which is 93 million miles away. If you want to reach the nearest star, take you four and a half years traveling at the speed of light. Okay, if you want to make it across our galaxy, the Milky Way, it would take you 100,000 years at the speed of light. Oh, that's just one galaxy. Our, our universe is full of them. Okay? And once again, let's blow our minds by just how huge this universe is and imagine the power it took for God to go bang, leap into existence. Much better than my shed, believe you me. Okay, let's take a look. The Milky Way. It spans 80,000 light years across 
and contains more than 100 billion stars. The Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. The brighter stars are concentrated into arms that wrap around the disk. Since our solar system is within this disk, we see the Milky Way as a cloudy band in our night sky. No human being or spacecraft has seen our galaxy from the outside, as shown here. It is difficult to grasp just how large our galaxy is. Our solar system is located here. In fact, with the exception of M4, all the stars and planets we've visited are within this little ring. The Milky Way is a remarkable demonstration of God's power. But what's even more amazing is that our galaxy is merely one of billions. Every one of these faint clouds is an entire galaxy. As we pan upward, we see a strange band where galaxies seem to be missing. This is called the zone of avoidance and is aligned with the disk of our galaxy. Although many galaxies are undoubtedly in this region, gas and dust in our own galaxy prevent us from seeing them. Further up, we see a massive grouping of galaxies called the Virgo Cluster. It contains over 2,000 galaxies and is 50 million light years away from Earth. Our entire galaxy appears as a grain of sand lost in a vast ocean of galaxies. Yet the galaxies shown here are only a small portion of the cosmos. Beyond this distance, astronomers have cataloged only certain regions of the visible universe. At last, we begin to see the large-scale structure of the universe. The galaxies are organized into a complete tapestry of strings and voids. For clarity, only a few selected regions are shown here. This is the universe, or at least as much of it as our present understanding makes possible. Just imagine the power involved as all these galaxies leapt into existence at God's command. And yet the Bible describes the creation of all this with the single phrase, He made the stars also. It's just too bad he can't take care of my problems. <laughs> and when Jesus says the words, do not worry about your life. You wonder why he said it? When Paul says, don't be anxious for anything. Think God can handle it? God's creation shows us how powerful He is. Village people, Rocky touchdown. What am I worried about? All things are possible. All things are possible with God. I mean, He created. Whoa! Now, notice how the guy he had mentioned that he says, and the the, the whole creation. Was just oh he made the stars too like like an afterthought. Ephesians says the same thing. Watch this. This is cool. It's like God was just yeah whatever okay I'll, I'll do that. 
piece of cake. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen, for he chose us in him before the creation, pay attention, for the creation of the world. To what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, you probably read that passage a multitude of times. Praise God. It's great stuff, great truth about God's sovereignty, about his election, about taking care of us and his plan for us to be godly, holy, blameless witnesses for him. That's the great truth. It says it there. But listen, what you may miss there is the word there, creation in the Greek, literally gives the creation of the world. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's like a, a, a flicking of the hand. Right? Who's got a bulletin? You got a bulletin? It's just like this. It's like, this is what, in the Greek, it's like this. It isn't just God in the creation of the world. It's just like God says, oh yeah, you know that video you guys just saw? Which, by the way, you still can't even see the whole thing. <sighs> okay, yeah, I'll do that too. That's what the Greek says. Just like it, casually. And here's my point. No wonder David's all excited. No wonder, I don't care how many people are watching me, man. You understand who God is? He's just powerful. He can just do some stuff. He is all powerful. And I don't know about you, but I'd say anybody who would just casually throw the whole world into existence and the universe to boot, they might just be a little bit powerful. What in the world are we worried about in life? Amen? Okay? Second way is also with God's demonstration of miracles. Okay? And that's when God came to the earth, Jesus took on the form of a servant, Philippians chapter 2, and man, he begins to demonstrate. He didn't just create this world, okay? He also has the power over it. Let's take a look at that, okay? And that's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 24 through 27. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was what? He was worried, man. He was wringing his hands. <laughs> no, he's God. <laughs> he created the world. He ain't nothing to fear. He can do whatever he wants. But the disciples, they went and woke Jesus, saying, Lord, Lord, save us. Oh, we're going to drown. And what did Jesus do? You have little faith. Didn't you just watch that video Pastor Billy showed? Oh, I'm sorry. You have little faith. Come on, what are you so afraid about? Right? Then he got up, Jesus got up, and what? He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. We've talked about this before. It literally just boom. In the Greek, it wasn't just, okay, now it took about 15 minutes for the waters. It was just calm. Major supernatural event. And the men, obviously, they were amazed. They asked, man, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves away. Oh, okay. But here we see, according to our text, the disciples were blown away by Jesus' behavior because they saw firsthand Jesus not only had miraculous power, and miraculous power, Colossians 1 tells us, to create the world and the universe, uphold it and sustain it, but he has the power to, uh, the power to control it. And it wasn't just the wind and the waves that Jesus had power to control. Let's just rip through a few more miracles recorded for us that Jesus does anytime he wants. He's God. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do. Let's take a look at that. Uh, water, he converted into wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He has an amazing catch of fish. He heals the demonia. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. That is an act of love. Now, don't even go there. Don't even go there. My wife's right here, folks. She's got a great mother-in-law. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bobby, can I get a ride after service? I need some. 
<laughs> he cleanses the leper. He heals the paralyzed man. He, he heals the immobile man. He restores the withered hand. He restores the uh, centurion servant. He raises the widow's son to life. He steals the storm. That's the text we just saw. He throws demons out of two guys. He raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. He cures the woman with the issue of blood. He restores two blind men to sight. He walks on water in Lake Galilee, okay? He heals the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. He feeds more than 5,000, restores the deaf mute man. He restores another blind guy. He heals the epileptic boy. He pays the temple tax by getting money from a fish's mouth. How many guys like to go to Lake? Hey, honey. Hey, men, do you need an excuse? Where are you going? I'm going fishing Lake Mead. I'm going to be there all day. You ain't got time for that. Yeah, hey, I got to pay my taxes. <laughs> I'm here for you. You can thank me later. Let's move on. <laughs> he starts sin lepers to hold as he opens the eyes of a man born blind, raises Lazarus from the dead. He heals the woman with the spirit of infirmity. He cures a man with dropsy. He restores the sight of two more blind guys near Jericho. He condemns a fig tree. He heals the ear of Malchus. That's when he got chopped off. He picks it up off the ground, pops it back on. It's working fine. How many guys would like a doctor like that? <laughs> we have a great physician. His name is Jesus. He's not just powerful. He's all powerful. Okay, and an amazing second catch of fish. Now, again, you men don't get distracted. I know you're asking, what kind of bait was Jesus using? He wasn't using bait. Hello, he's God. <laughs> just doing this, okay? But here's my point. I don't know about you. I say, anybody, listen, who cannot just command the winds, he can command the waves and make it completely calm. And, and he walks on water. He raises the dead. Oh, did I say he saves us? Now that's power. Turn to somebody and encourage each other with these words. Hey, you're a wretch. Go ahead. It's great. It's awesome. Huh? You wretch you. And then follow up with these words. Praise God. God's powerful. But <laughs> doesn't know what the Bible says? Save what? Wretches like us. That's what Paul says. The world doesn't want to hear that. But that's good news because when all hope was lost, when we could not save ourselves, we were powerless, the Bible says. God in his amazing power drew us by his spirit and the people who didn't want to have anything to do with him, who were stubbornly marching straight to hell. God says, watch this. <laughs> And he rescues us. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that awesome? So I don't know anybody who could do that, who could well, command the winds, the waves, again, the walk on the water, raise the dead, and save a bunch of wretches like us. I'd say he's pretty powerful. Amen? Amen. Don't ever give up on somebody. God can save them just like that. The third way we know is also God, uh, did you know this? He destroyed Satan. And we got to keep this in mind, Christian, because I think we forget that. And we run in fear of Satan and uh, hopefully here in a second, you realize we don't need to be doing that, okay? But I didn't say this, folks. This is what we say. We, we all, anybody glad that Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins? Yeah, did you realize the Bible says there's another reason why he came? Yeah. All right, let's take a look at that reason here. And this is what we see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the who? The devil, a literal entity. 65% of the church does not believe in a literal devil, if you can believe that. Okay, why? Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, all right? The reason, listen, the Son of God appeared, yes, to forgive us of our sins, but was to what? Destroy the work of the devil. Memorize that. Yes, praise God, the forgiveness of sins, but also to come and destroy the one who started the whole sin in the first place, Satan, okay? 
Now, when it comes to the devil, I've noticed we usually fall into one of two traps. One, we either overemphasize him, and we blame for everything. Oh, I got a flat tire. That's the devil. Right? Oh, it's raining today. It's the devil. He's after me. He just wants to make sure. No, it might just be the weather. Uh, it might just be a piece of glass you ran over. Right? But we, we overemphasize him, okay? And then we start running in fear, running in fear. And did you know that's exactly what Satan wants? You know, Satan, the fall of mankind, we've already dealt with this. Isaiah and Ezekiel talks about that. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. And he wanted to be like God. You know what the word glory means? Glorify? You know, we're supposed to glorify God and whatever to glorify. It means to give attention to. That's what that means. Okay, hey, that was almost like the touchdown thing. Woo-hoo, little touchdown half five. It means to glorify, right? It means to glorify God. It means to give attention to. Did you know what that's what Satan wants? Remember in this fall? I will be like God. I will ascend to the mount of assembly. I will be like the most high. Ah, he wants us to glorify him. And you say, well, oh, I'd never do that. I'll never glorify Satan. If you talk more about Satan, if you're running in fear of Satan, if it's Satan this, the devil this, the devil that, who are you giving attention to? He got you, didn't he? That's what the word glorify means. Now, you can't sit there and overemphasize him because really you're spending more time glorifying him. But don't go to the other extreme, and this is the other one. We de-emphasize him. We act like he's not even real. Or there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. Oh, you're one of those people. You're trying to scare me. Just deal with the facts. Every day we get out of bed, we are on a battlefront. Did you know that, Christian? This is not a playground. This is a battleground. Okay, until we get to heaven. And we face a, a full frontal assault from our own wicked nature, this old man. Praise God, we're not that anymore, but still around. Got to deal with that. Okay, we, this wicked world system and spiritual warfare. It's real. Okay, so don't overemphasize and spend all your time glorifying the devil, whether you realize it or not. But then don't go to the other extreme and de-emphasize and act like he doesn't exist at all. The Bible's clear there really is a devil. He not only wants to kill you, he wants to deceive you all the way into hell. Now, I said all that to get to this. That's the great news, though, for the Christian of the cross of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, yes, he secured the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. But he also stripped the devil of his power. He is destroyed. He is defeated. Not just John says that, but Paul says the same thing in Colossians chapter 2. Remember, Colossians 1 talks about Jesus, the creator who created all things. Now he says in chapter 2, he whooped the pants off the devil. Here's what he says. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over what? Jesus is head over every power and authority. Listen, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. Crone translation, he whooped him, his pants off, the devil's pants off, by the cross. And you know that Satan, he, he, he's not omniscient, he's not like God, he's a fallen created being. He's like, yeah, I did it, I did it, I did it. No, you didn't. Just became your worst nightmare. Jesus defeated you. Jesus, the Bible says, stripped the devil's power. The Lord exposed him. He shattered him. He defeated him on the cross. But you might be asking him. I remember the first time as a Christian realizing this aspect of Jesus' ministry. Yes, forgiveness of sins, but also to destroy uh, the work of Satan. And you think, well, wait a second. If, if Satan's defeated and shattered and, and all that stuff, then, then how can we still get attacked? Right? Think about it. Well, if you read the Bible, you see that the devil is not a loose cannon on deck. The devil is currently on death row awaiting his final sentence in the lake of fire. And he only gets to do what God allows him to do. He knows his gig is up. He knows he's lost. And this is why he's so stinking furious in the last days. 
In fact, the proper biblical way, as I mentioned before, to think of Satan after Jesus whooped him on the cross is to think of him with the, the head of a lion, but he's got this little tiny rat body. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And again, I didn't say this. Now, now let's go to Peter. John, Paul, now let's do with Peter. Here's what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, he's real. He prowls around. What's the word there? Like. So he's not even the real thing. It's just like. It's like a show. He's like a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise. <laughs> but his teeth are knocked out. He's trying to gum you. <laughs> Right? Like a roaring lion, and he's looking for somebody to devour. But it's all a ruse. He tries to get us to think that he's, he, you better run. You better hide. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to gum you to death. Like this picture. <laughs> help, help. He's after me. He gave me a flat tire. Help me. What? That actually kind of looks like my wiener dog, but that he's not, that's not my wiener dog. He's supposed to be a rat. Chris, you're doing good. Don't, you know, give it up for Chris, man. Chris, the incredible artist right there. Right? But, but put in perspective, not even that big. I mean, he's about, he's about, he's right over about here. Because he's got the rat buddy, the rat buddy. And all of a sudden, you're having a great day with Jesus, right? And here comes that thing. What are you going to do? You little rat, get out of here. <laughs> Why? Because of you? Oh, no, don't play that game. Spiritual warfare is real. Don't ever take on. Even the angel disputing over the body of Moses, he didn't say, I come in my own power. The Lord rebuke you. But at the same time, you need to understand that's what Jesus did to him. And that's why in the name of Jesus Christ, every demon must cower, flee, and obey. Because he's just a little rat buddy. Serious stuff. But in the name of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid. So here's my point. I don't know about you, but anybody who could reduce the devil to a little pipsqueak of a rat, I'd say, man, no wonder. Woohoo! He's powerful, right? One more to go. The fourth way that we know God is powerful. Why is David getting so excited? Why is he doing that? Well, hello, he defeated death. Anybody glad about that? Well, if you're not, you're going to find out soon. <laughs> and hopefully you're saved because man this is good news okay the, the famous resurrection chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15 listen to this listen to the Christian's response to even the threat of dying here's what we should say uh, 1 Corinthians 15 where oh death is your victory huh you can hear the sarcasm where is oh death is your sting listen thanks be to who to God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Absolutely amazing, victorious message. The good news about Jesus going to the cross. Yes, he not only secured the forgiveness of all of our sins, he not only defeated the devil. Listen, he defeated death itself. So much so that just like with the analogy with the pipsqueak of a rat, you don't have to be afraid. The scripture is clear. Christians, you should never, ever, ever be afraid even of dying. Now, I didn't say that. The writer of Hebrews did. Let's take a look at that text. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his what? His death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So he got whooped twice. I took that away from you too. 
right? And what? Free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You look at the amazing testimonies of the early church and even our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted right now. Two days we sit here across the world. How in the world are they able to sit there? What are the people saying? You don't convert to Islam or you don't do what I say. You don't renounce the name of Jesus Christ. We will chop your head off. We'll drown you alive in these cages. And what do they do time and time again? I will never renounce Jesus. Because you see, you threaten me with death, but oh, death, where is your victory? Praise be to God who giveth the victory through Jesus Christ. God has delivered us from that. We, we don't have to be afraid. Now, now, here's the problem. I don't know if you notice or not, but everybody's afraid of something. You notice that? Seems to be that way. Some people, it's high places, right? You ever go there at Hoover Dam and, you, and that, that bridge walk? You get about halfway out there, so you can get that good center view, and you're still three feet away from that big old giant thing that keeps you from going... Okay, but even there, what, I don't know if it happened to you, but the first time I did it, in fact, every time I've done it, you know what my body does? My body inside my gut, it doesn't have an actual voice, praise God, but it's like, stop, you fool. <laughs> you, you're going to die. <laughs> my body, literally, and if you, I, I remember my brother telling me one time, I don't know, it was a, the Seattle Space Needle or something, you're way up there, and they got this, the floor is it's straight to the bottom, but you walk over on a plexiglass thing, he said he tried to do it, and I, I, you know you're not going to fall through, but your body won't let. <laughs> Some people are afraid of high places. Other people are speaking in public. <laughs> Some people, it's spiders. <laughs> yeah. What's this? Like these guys. <laughs> He's still in the hospital. I don't know where he's at, but he's trying to protect Janet. You know, they're getting a new baby, to, you know, whatever. Apparently, he needs more in a Superman suit. But, uh, but, but seriously, man, we're all afraid of something in life, right? It could be spiders. Right? Some people, it's even chicken, if you can believe that. But we ain't going there. i got to finish this sermon. Uh, but if there's one fear that the Bible is clear that is universal for all mankind, it is the fear of death. And, and, you know, you don't hear anybody talk about it because, after all, it's kind of a bummer thing to talk about. Hey, Bob, I'm glad to, glad to, hey, thanks for coming to our party. Woo, yeah, let's party. Hey, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been thinking about dying. And I'm just consumed with the reality of what's going to happen when I die. It's like, okay, Bob, leave the party. Right? You're at work. Hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it was, it was, it was very intriguing. I'm glad you asked because I've been thinking about my death. Okay, time to get to work. Nobody wants to talk about it. Now, who cares that it's real? Who cares that we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds? Most people are scared of death. Now, here's the whole point, folks. This is the great news of the gospel. This is what God's trying to encourage us with. Jesus not only destroyed the devil, Jesus defeated death. Through the cross of Christ, mankind's darkest hour, his greatest fear has become his greatest joy into eternal light. And it's only the Christian who is genuinely freed from fear. I didn't say it, the Bible did, so that you can finish like this. True story. The guy says this. He says, a year and a half ago, my father-in-law, he died. 
and he was one of the most godly men I ever met. And the day he died, he sat up in bed and he spoke. And he said, well, so what? He said, so this. He was having hardening, hardening of the arteries and he wasn't talking at all. But all of a sudden, he sat up in bed, six in the morning, and his wife said he, he looked at the ceiling and he simply said this, oh, grave, oh, death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Praise be to God who gives me the victory. And then he waited, and, and he said it again even louder. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Praise be to God who gives me the victory. And he paused, and for the third time, and with a full triumph in his voice, my mother-in-law said he was yelling at the satanic forces. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Praise be to God who gives me the victory. And he went back down in bed and died. What a way to go. To have lived life fully and intensely, to have seized the opportunity to live out the will of God, to have been alive to the mercies of God. Only then, Christian, when the final test comes, can you laugh at Satan and tell him that he has no quarters in your life because you belong to the all-powerful living Lord. How many guys glad that Jesus defeated death? Guess what? It's like icing on the cake, isn't it? I don't even have to be afraid of dying. And the same is true for any person, no matter what you've done, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ and take that first step. All have sinned and fall short of his, God's glory. But he's got the power through his sacrifice on the cross to forgive you and cleanse you of everything. Yes, everything and make you new. And the next thing you know, you're acting like David. Village people, Rocky Touchdown. Yeah. David was blown away by the power of God. Do you think the people there in public were watching him? Do you think that his display, he, it, was, it was something between him and God. It wasn't some for show thing. I, don't, I truly don't believe that. But do you think it had an effect on the people? Do you think it encouraged them? Do you think it drew attention to God? And how David presented God? And this is the same thing. Folks, listen. This is the awesome message we had the privilege to tell the nation. God not only exists, but through Jesus Christ, people really can have an intimate, beautiful, loving, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Woo! Okay, but I'm telling you folks, if they're going to believe our message, we have to stop acting like these practical atheists. We have to demonstrate with our lips and our lives, God's not just real, He's not just personal and intimate, He's not just wise, He's not just sovereign, but God is all-powerful. Boom! He can do whatever He wants, He can save who, anything He wants, He can solve any problem He wants, He's even defeated Satan, death, and hell. Have a great day. We live like that every day, and we should. Who in the world wouldn't want to receive Jesus as their Savior? So let's stand up, and let's practice. I'll give you a little time, because you may need to warm up. Get some momentum going. 
All right, flap, start with the flappy or something. A little TV action, widescreen, don't lie about your fish. All right? But folks, let's just go for the top. Village people, Rocky, touchdown, amen? God is all-powerful, Christian, and our world needs to see that now more than ever. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven.
That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. 
And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.